If you like the work that we produce on this show, support the show and get access to extra content and more at patreon.com backslash Fred Opie show. Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie show where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. Our guest today is Feffy Barnhill. She is a 2019 Spirit of Thwarton Award winner. The award is given to an individual in the sport of lacrosse who nobly reflects the finest virtues in the game and who over the course of his or her life has made a significant contribution to society and to the lives of others. Barnhill is a National Lacrosse Hall of Famer who coached at, William, at the College of William & Mary from 1982 to 1998 and ended her coaching career there as the program's all-time winningest head coach. Her teams earned six NCAA tournament appearances and seven conference titles. That's today on the Fred Opie Show, the oral history and lacrosse journey of Feffy Barnhill. What is the oldest thing you know about either side of your family? Well, uh, I have a friend who lives in St. Andrews, Scotland, whose passion is uh, family ancestry. She's a member of Ancestry.com. And we found uh, Barnhills, who were in um, England, back to 1643. And then we've just been going through my other grandmother's, which is my middle name, Parkinson. And we have them coming over here in a boat in about 1740. So I'm a combination of Irish, Scottish, and English, and that's on my father's side. And haven't done enough research on the Martin side, which is my mother's maternal, to give you a date for that, but really have focused in the last couple of years in building that, that history line back. Where did you grow up? What was the community where you spent most of your childhood? I spent all my childhood in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, I had the opportunity to grow up with my paternal grandparents who had built a very nice home um, in the suburban of Wilmington. First, um, let's see, nine years I was in a little row house in Wilmington. I could walk to my elementary school. Um, and then when my grandfather passed away, my grandmother had already passed away, finally my grandfather, we moved out into their house, which was um, even more to the woods. Uh, outside area of Wilmington, and but much closer to the Tattnall School, about a mile from the Tattnall School. And between where I live now and the Tattnall School is Joe Biden's residence. So we see a lot of action up and down our street. Have you gotten to know Joe Biden? Well, long story short, I coached his uh, niece in the years around 2000, and she was at Tower Hill School as a lacrosse player and then went on to Harvard. He's been by to see the games, and I bump into them in my local grocery stores, etc. I have had the chance to meet with them a couple times. Who introduced you to the sport of lacrosse? I went to the small private school called Tattnall, and 
I was a tomboy. I wanted to be involved in any sport I could and didn't understand why I couldn't play football. So I used to hang out at the school afterward when the varsity teams were practicing and I was like sixth grade. And I'd chase the football for the punters and in basketball, I'd just hang out and dribble ball during the spring. I would watch whatever was happening, lacrosse, baseball, softball, any sport that I could be, I was involved in. So luckily they had a program starting seventh grade. It was called the Midgets Team combination of seventh and eighth graders and that's when I got to actively start competing with coaches and against other schools in my area. What do you remember about your first stick? My parents were well enough off that they could afford to buy a stick but you didn't go to a store to buy a stick. You had to either have it sent to you or in the case of field hockey there were two or three women that would sell sticks out of their trunk when they would come to officiate a game knowing that in five weeks this lady would be at my school and I could buy a stick from her. We borrowed sticks from the school until you had the opportunity to get your own. Continued through college, we still were buying our own sticks directly from the people who would import them from India for hockey sticks or England for lacrosse sticks. Sticks that we played with came from England, a brand named Cranberry. They were imported to the Cranberry company up in Boston, and then they distributed them down to small stores. Longstreth was one of the first ones around here, and then there was another place, and they would just order 20 sticks, and when they were gone, they were gone. It wasn't something that was mass-produced, and you would go to a store like Longstreth and ask to be allowed to go back into the warehouse to pick out your sticks, and I was doing that when I was still at William Mary. I over the summer before I'd go back down to Williamsburg, I would go up to Barbara Longstreth's store and pick out a dozen sticks for the school to give to my incoming players because they were so different because they were handmade and they were different weights and, you know, thicker handles, thinner handles. You had to, you know, know what you wanted, what was the balance that you wanted. So picking out your own stick for lacrosse was much more of a personal thing than a field hockey stick. You mentioned that you had that experience of obtaining your own stick going all the way into college. Where did you go to undergrad and reflect on the decision to go to that particular school and why? One of my PE teachers had graduated from Westchester University and I was at a very small private school. I think there were 33 in my graduating class. And it was upon her recommendation that I looked at two or three other schools in the area. She told me about Westchester. She said there'll be 120 gr uh, major PE department because I knew I wanted to teach. I knew I wanted to do physical activity with kids. Um, and she said, I don't recommend you go there because even though there's good teams, the mass of people learning um, isn't going to be like what you're used to. So she suggested or signs college to me. And I went up and visited, applied early, and was accepted. So I didn't even look much farther than that. Because they also had, at that time, some of the most legendary women's coaches, a woman named Eleanor Snell, who had been uh, was the hockey, softball, basketball coach there. And a few other people, a woman named Marge Watson, whose daughters were playing at Kimberton, which is one of the teams that our Tattnall team played, it isn't that winning was important, but it was that they were the leaders, the mentors that were highly recognized. And so I chose the school 
basically because of the sports programs and the mentors and coaches that I would have the opportunity to train with and a little bit smaller in size of the schools, only a thousand students there when I went. What was your major? Health and physical education. And how did you go about making the decision to, to major in that? Uh, there's a, a woman who, the one I mentioned, who went to Westchester, Ann McNeil, and she knew that she was good friends with my parents. Uh, she coached me in basketball one year in lacrosse, and she gave me the opportunity on my free time at school, study hall, whatever, to come be her assistant in the PE classes. So I'd run over to the gym on my free period and help her spot the kids when they were jumping over stuff in gymnastics or assist her in a, in a drill that they, she had taught them. And about 10th grade onward, I was, I was in there doing what I thought I really wanted to do. And I knew as a result of that opportunity to, to assist in those classes that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. My mother was a teacher, mm -hmm. so I had a lot of that instinct in me. She taught math, English, whatever it was in the middle school. So I think it was a natural progression for me. And because I already knew what I wanted to do, it was easy to pick a school. and It was easy to be motivated to go through the school because I knew what I wanted to be, a gym teacher. Coaches have had the greatest impact on you and on your career as a coach. And then secondly, notable teammates that you had in college Eleanor Snell has long been recognized as one of the most influential coaches of developing young athletes. She was a hockey coach and the lacrosse coach and the softball coach my first year. With age and health issues, she retired. I learned more from her, and it wasn't what she said. It was how the team responded as a group as to what she said. Um, probably my greatest athlete teammate person I competed with was a young lady named Beth Anders. She's on the U.S. field hockey team in, uh, in L.A. They competed there and won a bronze medal. And she also, in college days, was on the U.S. lacrosse team. Fabulous athlete from the uh, Plymouth White Marsh High School. She had a run of many, many years down at Old Dominion of coaching field hockey and winning NCAA championships. Beth just knew how to let you know that whatever you were doing was, was good, but you could do it better. And she would quietly push you to excel on the next attempt. The funny part is I had to guard her in all three sports. I guarded her as a defender in field hockey, and she was um, a forward. I still have a dent in my shin from her <laughs> stick when I missed the ball. In basketball, I was one of the taller players, so we played against each other every day in practice. In lacrosse, I was a defender, was made a defender even by my coach, and I guarded her half the time. And then we'd go beat each other up in squash. And then we'd go play pinball in games. So even though she was two years younger, my competitive spirit was just lit on fire by having to compete against one of the best athletes that the women games have ever seen. So I think that would be my most unique person in that opportunity. And then when Eleanor Snell left, a variety of other people filled in. Adele Boyd, who's just passed away, who was on the U.S. national team in lacrosse and field hockey herself, she took over field hockey. They hired a new basketball coach, and 
uh, Marge Watson had continued as the lacrosse coach. Uh, Eleanor was a softball coach. Marge Watson wow. was probably the other most unique individual that I had the opportunity to be coached by. Marge is unique. She would look at something always as it's half full versus it's half empty. The game of lacrosse was so open and undiagnosed with X's and O's. It was such a creative game. And so the basic concepts you learned were things that you experienced. Like, you just you just got beat on that. Why, why can't you see that that's the move she always uses? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I can learn from my mistakes. She just had a way to communicate with us that we lost two games in lacrosse in four years. And Westchester was coached by many other of her former players. Uh, Robin Cash was over there. And then for a couple of years, Marnie Groh, who was her best friend, Ursinus, and she was the Olympic field hockey coach all through the late 70s into 80s that took the team to get a bronze medal in, um, in the L.A. Olympic Games. So I had these mentors around me and these exceptional athletes around me that just, it's what made the four years unique, the people that were there. One of my other teammates in a different realm was uh, Debbie Ryan. Debbie Ryan was the legendary basketball coach at UVA, and she was exceptional at basketball. She should have been at a much higher level of basketball, but her parents and she decided this was the school she's going to. She also played field hockey and tennis. So she was on a variety of different teams. But Debbie, nicknamed Dribbles, could do things with the ball and shoot the ball like none of us. And um, very, very successful, but had some head issues, challenging issues with some of the basketball coaches. They were four different coaches in four different years. So, oh. But nevertheless, she has taken her craft and, as I say, excelled after many, many years at University of Virginia as a Division One basketball coach. And I'd say she had an influence that was more significant but different than many of my other classmates. We're going to take a commercial break. This is The Fred Opie Show. My wife, Dr. Tina Opie, worked as a management consultant before earning her PhD at NYU Stern School of Business and becoming a tenured faculty member at Babson College. She has worked with the NFL, UBS, American Express, and Hulu to help their organizations do the hard work of becoming more inclusive. Tina Opie's consulting group can help your organization develop a strategy for elevating women and people from different ratio ethnic backgrounds to leadership positions. Tina's work on inclusion, appearance policies, authenticity, and or shared sisterhood will make a positive difference in your organization. Contact Tina at LLC at gmail.com. That's LLC at gmail.com. Nationwide, Harlem Lacrosse transforms the lives of student-athletes from low-income neighborhoods. Harlem Lacrosse students receive hundreds of hours of quality training on the field, in-school support, and other resources year-round and for free. The result is that students improve their fitness, lacrosse skills, grades, and get on a trajectory for a successful future. 
To learn more and get involved, go to harlemlacrosse.org. Talk a little bit about the league that you played in in college. First of all, I, I find it phenomenal that in four years you lost two games. I, th- I mean, that's just, that's incredible. Two games in lacrosse. Yeah, and lacrosse. we lost four in basketball. Wow, wow. Or field hockey, but in lacrosse. Oh, that's that's amazing. But can you talk about the league that your college played in? You mentioned uh, Westchester uh, College or Westchester University several times. I know that's where Coach Emeritus uh, Tina Sloan Green went there and was an outstanding player there and field hockey first and then also in lacrosse and then went on to coach right. at Temple. But tell me about the the teams in that league and maybe some of the notable players that you played against. Westchester in our geographical region was the best competition and hockey, they still have um, the Eleanor Snell game every fall where Ursinus plays Westchester and brings back a lot of the local people Um it's played in her honor. Many of her players went on to coach at Westchester. Uh, Sue Lubking's one of the names I'm going to give you. Vonnie Groh was the Olympic coach. Robin Cash, they were all our sinus grads, but got jobs coaching at Westchester. And that was the influence. So that was always the game of the year. There was no conference. There was no league. If you liked the level of competition of, say, in East Stroudsburg and you you like the coaches and whatever, then you'd schedule a game with them. We played Maryland when I was there. We played Glassboro because they were very strong. We played Trenton, Temple, Penn State, Towson State had a good lacrosse program. So we traveled by car. There were no vans. We drove our own cars and got paid eight cents a mile. I did five sports. So in the spring, We'd do lacrosse practice first, and then we'd run down to the softball field for maybe a chance to hit a few balls or catch a few balls. So when they had to schedule the season, Adele Boyd was the women's athletic director. She had to be sure she didn't schedule softball games on the same day as lacrosse games because there wouldn't have been enough athletes to play. So we went back and forth. And I can remember one week in the spring of my junior year, we did seven straight days of travel from Penn State to play lacrosse, Glassboro to play softball, University of Maryland to play lacrosse, Temple to play softball. Uh, and it, it was crazy. I mean, it's like, we're not really even, I feel more like the athletes today. We didn't have almost a chance to go to school because we were off driving to these places by our, on our own. But that's the way it was for one crazy week a year. Can you unpack a little bit the experience of being a varsity women's lacrosse player back in your day? The best correlation is it was basketball with another implement on a different field. Well, at least half of us played basketball, was to take the moves, the cuts, the idea of running off a screen. We didn't call it a pick. We called it screening. But the movement that you did was a lot like basketball. And the contact that we experienced and played with that we have totally lost in the women's game today was, again, like basketball. You could touch somebody, you could bounce off of somebody, but that touch had to be no more than a second or two, and it wasn't allowed to impede the other opponent. Mm-hmm. And I played defense in lacrosse, so I was very aware of the fouls that were being called by which umpire and when and how much contact we've allowed. 
Now our game has gotten so out of control at the collegiate level that you literally can be holding someone off with your forearm with constant contact and pushing them. Um, it scares me that we're going in a direction where we'll have to put full equipment on for the women and it will become a contact sport because the college coaches, et cetera, that are controlling in the NCAA and the rules bodies are like, we want more contact. It has gotten really out of hand in the last six, seven years. So I'm worried about our game immensely. We can play this game like basketball's played with very little contact. It's scary how many times in watching a college game, at the end of every play, there's at least one, if not two players on the ground. So I coached 20 years and I had two concussions. One was from, and one broke a nose. And both were before we even began practice. Kids were throwing around. Mm. And the other concussion I had was from a player who was a U.S. national team player level. She was so fast and quick that people were always hitting her in the head. They were late. <laughs> they were late getting their checks in because she just had, like Tina, that explosive ability. I think that's unique. I don't think you're going to see one concussion and a broken nose in 20 years of lacrosse in today's injury reports at the college level. If you were the dean of a school and you could make a course that everybody had to take before they graduated to get ready for life, what would you want in your course? There's a group called Positive Coaching Alliance and I'm actually one of their trainers. I would have a course that prepares the students for parenthood. But a big piece of that would be in how you deal with your children in competitive or, or and or academic situations. The group PCA.org is one of the most fantastic in presenting to parents who are maybe first-time coaches of their little kids coming out how you coach and how you coach correctly and how you fill the emotional tank and how you all these great acronyms and all these great resources that they've given. And we want the youth of America to be active in sport, any sport. I don't, it doesn't matter what's lacrosse or whatever. But the people coaching them are a variety of parents and they don't have any training necessarily unless you were in the education field of how to coach or communicate with kids in a competitive situation. That would be the course. Hmm. Positive parenting or something it would be called, but it would definitely have a big segment about how you coach and how you develop kids. What was your first job after graduating college? I was straight into teaching health and phys ed and coaching lacrosse at um, St. Catherine's School in Richmond, Virginia, the girls' private boarding school. Do you remember what your starting salary was? Yeah, 5700 <laughs> And I got that job through a friend of Marge Watson, who Good. was my lacrosse coach, somebody down that she'd met through the lacrosse tournament world, that I'm retiring, do you know any good lacrosse coaches that would be willing to move to Richmond, Virginia? And Marge said, yeah, I think I got the one you need. How long did you stay there? Seven years, and I'd gone from just being the first coach to being head of the department, and I'd gotten my master's at University of Richmond while I was there. Hmm. So I was ready to move on to a higher level, and I knew that my passion at that point was working with the higher level athlete, the, the gifted, the ones that were going to be Division One athletes. There were two people that they interviewed for this job, and several of the people that I'd met as my mentors along the way, like Marge Watson and Bonnie Groh, they knew 
the athletic director down there that was hiring. And so I'd have to say it, it wasn't, they only interviewed two and I got the job with little stress, very little stress. <laughs> Walked in, interviewed, phone call the next day, we'd like you to come coach. And that salary was 12000 And that's how women marry? Yep. You mentioned that your your parents were relatively well off. So I usually ask the question, how did you and your parents pay for college? So in your case, were your parents able to pay for it or did you have loans coming out? No, um, Ursinus wasn't that expensive. Uh, my father was a dentist and we had a house we were living in. It, there were no housing costs in their family because we moved into the family home. And my mother was a teacher. So... Uh, I, I don't remember the cost of college, but it wasn't extravagant and it wasn't over the top. And they were able to pay per semester to have me attend. This is The Fred Opie Show. We'll be right back. Publishing a book in the final months and weeks is like being an expectant father. I'm excited to announce that Super 7 is now in print. People have asked me, how did I go from being a poor student to PhD, Harvard Fellowship, and the author of six books? I thought about that question for years and developed an answer, taught it, and now published a paperback, Kindle, and audiobook in response. Here is a summary of the seven chapters in the book. Chapter one, receiving and giving feedback and how to fail forward. Chapter two, best practices for communicating with coworkers, family, and friends. Chapter three, how to plan your work and work your plan. Chapter four, how to prepare for success and reduce your stress. Chapter five, how to better manage your time and be present. Chapter six, learn how you and those around you learn best. Chapter seven, leverage technology to keep your sanity and get more done. It's a short book, only 64 pages full of nuggets of wisdom based on the mistakes and stupid tax I've paid over the years. Do you or someone you know have ADHD or you suspect they are on the spectrum for having it? I've met lots of students who do have it and adults my age who have recently learned they do. Whatever your difference is, it's a relief to find out that you're not lazy, crazy, or stupid. That's how I felt most of my life. Behavioral health specialists diagnosed me as a child, but I didn't get the help I needed until I was nearly 30. Since then, I started developing what I now call Super 7 as a way to make what's different about me like a superpower. Purchase copies of Super 7 and give them to your team, family, friends, and coworkers as a resource. And we're running a limited time offer special to celebrate the release of the book. For $7.99, you get the book and three CDs of my live events as a special offer. That's $20 worth of content for the purchase of a signed copy of Super 7. Go to our online store at fredopiespeaks.com and purchase the book and bundle offer, and we'll get it to you as soon as possible. The book is available everywhere books are sold.
our scripture of the day is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Mary McLeod Bethune said, Faith is the first factor in a life devoted to service. Without it, nothing is possible. With it, nothing is impossible. We're back. Let's end with some rapid fire questions. Uh, I think they're fun questions to get to know a little bit more about you and your philosophy. Are you ready? Okay. Ready? Dinner with three people, dead or alive. Who would you want to have dinner with and why these three? My mother, uh, the respect that I had for her and her growth. My boss, Millie West, who just passed away, who was such a mentor to me and taught me so much about athletics as a business and as a job. And the third one, probably Vonnie Grow, who's got, to me, the most philosophical approach to the world and, and women in sport and an analytical mind. Coach, if I gave you $10 million to give away, where would you give that uh, money? I'd divide it up among the countries that are starting lacrosse, particularly in Africa. Um, uh, there's people down there from England, Germany, all over trying to get the game going. A lot of the islands like Jamaica, um, they kind of have a men's program, but they really haven't got the women going. Puerto Rico is another one. I would definitely spread it out to the grassroots developments uh, for lacrosse in areas where I think that it can have a significant impact. One thing you wish you could do? Cure the coronavirus right now. I hear you. I miss coaching. I miss not seeing my kids every day. It's, um, it's a terrible time from that standpoint. If I was more philosophical than the immediate um, down, I would want to have a stick in every player's hands in the in the world. Hmm. A lacrosse stick. Give a lacrosse stick and a ball to every kid in the world. What's something uh, about you that few people know? How big my heart is and how much I'm a giver, not a taker. I like that. Former players are doing exceptional things today and why these three come to mind. It's hard to limit it to three. I'm very proud of my former players. But by name recognition, Karen Brower is an exceptional coach at the University of Pennsylvania with a very successful program in women's lacrosse. She understands what being a college coach is today. She was a hockey and lacrosse player at William Mary, and I've been very close to her since then. Probably number two would be Chris Paradis, who's the lacrosse coach for quite a while, I couldn't tell you how many years, up at Amherst College. Again, she has developed so many other fantastic young women. She's expanded her own life and career to teaching of multiple things, yoga being one of them. And she's in such a positive environment at Amherst. And the kids she gets there are really top-notch young ladies. Um, I don't want to name another top lacrosse coach, but <laughs> they're the ones I still say in the communication. Um, the other one is Amy Umbach, Bacher, who's just been named the head coach at Ohio State University. And 
what she's doing with this new group of girls for the first couple months. I've watched every game and the improvement from February 3rd game to until their season was actually cut off in March. And the publicity that the school has provided for uh, the team and how Amy coaches that team is real inspiration to me. So I could go on and on, but those three are in the limelight, uh, top, you know, top 20 in their, in their sport by their own level, Division One, Division Three. But there's many out there that I share. Are there three books that you could say, these are three books that were life-changing for me? You know, I'm not a reader. Um, so this is hard. I am really getting into John Gordon's book. I just was listening to a webinar he put out. It was yesterday. Uh, they had a limit to 100, but over 1,000 people registered. So they're wow. putting it back for free on how to deal with your student-athletes and or your children during this crisis. It's very deep and philosophical. We've also had uh, John Gordon on the show. I highly recommend his books uh, for those who are listening. He is a former Cornell University lacrosse player, and uh, his most recent book is The Power of Positive Team. This stuff is wonderful. They're, they're parables, many of them, just great stuff. Carol Dweck and The Open Mindset. And I'd say the only other book that I really found recently mm-hmm. is Judy Fowley uh, wrote a book, Choose to Matter. Hmm. Being Courageous and Fabulous, sponsored a little bit by ESPNW. I think there's some really good teachable moments in that book. I'm not one to sit and read. I never have been. Last question. I want you to write a book of success. And I just need three of the many chapters that I know you would write, but give me three chapter titles. Success is having the most positive impact you can on the world around you. So what would be three chapters in your book of success? One of them is how to continue to keep learning. Two would be the value of developing player-coach relationships. Three would be mistakes are okay, including yours as a coach. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome, and I look forward to seeing the list of other great women contributors to the game of lacrosse that I'll get a chance to interview and unpack their stories. Thank you. That's it for this edition of the Fred Opie Show. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show archive at fredopiespeaks.com, as well as our books and other content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our show notes where you'll find a way to subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You'll find links to books discussed on the show, links to our YouTube channel where you can watch the show. If you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to fredopi.com, which is my website. You can see information on the books I publish. There are two blogs that I host there, both a food and an athlete's blog, and there's both a food and an athlete's podcast. The whole archive to both those two podcasts are there. At the bottom of the podcast page, I have links to interviews that I have listened to on other people's podcasts that I would recommend to you. 